We are underway this hour. It is Thursday, December 14th with Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. My name is Pat Steinberg. Welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. This Christmas, give the gift of security with smart locks and safes. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lots to talk about on this Thursday hour of Flames Talk and very excited to talk goaltending and just overall Flames hockey with our next guest been too long since we've spoken with this gentleman on Flames Talk. It's time to go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. The gentleman I'm talking about is Kelly Rudy of Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada, who just happens to join us on Flames Talk this hour. Hello, hello, Mr. Rudy. How are you today? I'm well, Pat and Wes. How are you guys? Doing well. Good to have you on. And uh, it's uh, it's good to chat with you. And first of all, it was awesome to have you doing a Saturday game last week. That was uh, <laughs> that was that was a rare tweet treat. That was cool. <laughs> that was great, wasn't it? And the uh, the best part was uh, it was an afternoon game, and all of us recognized how it is uh, important for families. And so I was able to score. Uh, four tickets for uh, our oldest daughter, her husband, and our two grandchildren. So they had an absolute blast at the afternoon game, and it was just an uh, amazing day. And, yeah, it was good to be home for a, a Flames game for sure. That is awesome. Glad you were able to get a, uh, get a family weekend in because I know those are mm-hmm. few and far between for you during the, uh, during the hockey season. Yep. Um, we, we've been talking a lot, Wes and, and I, over the last couple of days about the the next steps for Dustin Wolf and and what we've seen from Dustin on this NHL recall. I'm just I, I I'm curious from your perspective, just overall, how much fun have you had watching Dustin Wolf get his first extended look in the NHL? Well, I love it. Uh, it's uh, you know he was he should have been given this opportunity. Now it's unfortunate it's because of an injury to Markstrom, but. Wolf has done everything humanly possible asked of him. So when you're sent down to the minors and he's done it two years in a row, uh, you could go down there with the wrong attitude in particular after his first brilliant year and go down there and say, you know, I deserve a chance. And I know a lot of people uh, or a lot of athletes feel that way. Like my time is now you've got to make room for me, but he did the right thing. He went down there for the second year, had an absolute monster season again, this year, I'm sure he is very, very disappointed being sent down, and yet he still played well uh, for the Wranglers. And uh, so now he's trying to make the most of it. And unfortunately, you know, the team has had some ups and downs with uh, just recently, and so I think he's felt a little bit of that. But there are times where we see that he potentially could be a really, re- really good goalie for a lot of years. Now, having said that, you know, you don't get a lot of chances. Like he's going to be afforded a few more chances, of course, but uh, it's an interesting position, uh, not only goal, but every position uh, in the national hockey league, you only get a few chances. And then the story 
that I always go back to when I retired, I came back and I was a broadcaster and I think I just missed uh, Kiprasov in San Jose. And uh, Daryl knew of him, of course, from his time with the Sharks, Daryl Sutter, that is. And so he took a chance on Kiprasov. And I remember we did Kiprasov's first game on Hockey Night in Canada in Vancouver is a Saturday, of course, and he wasn't very good. And I remember thinking to myself, oh boy, you only get a few chances. And then his next game was really, really good. And they got on a bit of a run. And of course he had uh, what I think is a hall of fame career, but, and, and Dustin's not in that situation yet, but at some point you've got to really make an impact. So they go, okay, it's impossible now for us to send him back down. He's here for good. And they've got to figure out the organization, what to do with the goaltending yep. situation at some point. So what jumps out at you about Dustin's game? What, when you watch him play, what jumps out at you and says, yeah, this guy, this guy can play at the highest level and for a long time. How he reads a play. That's, that was an easy question, easy answer for me, because that's the one thing when Rick and I are doing games and we're in the broadcast booth. And so, as you guys know, you're, you're up there a lot. Uh, you can you see a play before it's going to happen or what potentially could happen because you have such a great view of the ice. And uh, it's been, I think, if, I, if my memory serves me right, I can only think of one time in which he was truly fooled by a play. And, uh, and that's pretty darn good when he's uh, played in five games now already for the Flames this year. So that's the, the number one thing that has, that has always stood out to me, Pat, that if you're trying to make a name for yourself in this league and if you want any ambitions, ambitions of staying around for a long time, you've got to read a play. Because some days you just don't feel all that good physically. You know, you, you think – why is it that I've shown up to the game tonight and I have no energy? So what saves you is your ability to sort of, uh, you know, read a play, save your energy for when you really need it. Maybe later in a game, you start to feel a little bit, a little bit better. So that, those are just little things that really stand out to me. He's really good as Ryan Huska has mentioned rebound control, but you know, rebounds are interesting to me as well, because some days you have great rebound control and some days it's a miracle you made a save and you don't care where the rebound goes. Kelly, it's Wes here. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Wes. I, I'm curious, and you talk about the way he reads the play and, and you talk about you know the hockey sense, the rebound control. Where do you see the, the biggest room for growth with Dustin? What, what are the, the sort of keys that he needs to work on here moving forward? Well, just... You know, the experience, you can never teach that, right? You can, there will be plays and this goes for everybody that's ever played any position on ice, I guess any sport where when you're, when you're brand new to a certain level, you're completely fooled by what just happened. And until you go through it, and usually in a lot of cases, until you finally figure out what's happening at this level, it'll usually be a mistake and, but that's okay. Cause it happens to everybody. I, I remember when I, again, when I first came up, there were goals that were scored on me that I had never seen before, whether it was in junior or in the minors. And I'm like, okay, I've got to adapt here. Cause I've never seen players with this skill before. And it's up to me to get up to their level. Uh, and, and sometimes you do, sometimes players don't. So it's, that's going to be his biggest learning curve to really understand how great these guys are. He, the one thing he did talk about, I believe is second 
time he met with us and you guys were there, he talked about uh, all the traffic in front. And so right. the bigger bodies here, right? You guys remember that? The bigger bodies here, and they do a real good job of uh, getting traffic. And and maybe one thing that he didn't talk about, but I also suggest players in today's National Hockey League have never been better at tipping in pucks. And so that's an adjustment, right? So in the minors, I don't think those players will have the same sort of ability uh, and at this level, they're so good at redirects in front that uh, that's got to be a huge challenge as well for him. I'm curious what parallels you see here to, to your own, you know, time as a, a prospect. You spent two very mm-hmm. successful seasons yep. at, at Indianapolis. And then uh, correct me if yep. I'm wrong, but I think you went back for the start of a third one at, at is that right? No, I, uh, I'll, I'll explain it. Wes. So okay. I did play two full seasons in the minors. Um, and I did have success like Dustin, so I can relate to a certain degree that my first year, I was rookie of the year and playoff MVP. We won the championship uh, in the Central Hockey League. My second year, I was uh, uh, MVP of the league and we won the championship again. Uh, and so it was explained to me, and I, I, I'm sure somebody could have had this conversation with Dustin because Bill Torrey, when he uh, he told me I made it in 83, 84, that I, at times he looked, he said, I looked bored in the minors my second year. And I, I'm sure Wolf would have to have the same sort of feeling. He's accomplished everything. There's no, no other things he can do down there. His next challenge is here at the National Hockey League. So that's, that's why I think it was important that he, he gets a chance here. The reason I went down for two weeks was it was, we were carrying three goalies. Uh, it was Billy Smith, Roly Melanson, and I, and it was in January. Um, and there was talk that I was going to go play for the Canadian Olympic team okay. uh, in, in Sarajevo. And now I want to say that fell through. So they sent me down for two weeks of conditioning, and I, I went right back up, and I remained there the rest of the year. But it was, uh, you know, I, I do know that when I was playing that my first year in the National Hockey League, 83-84, I needed that challenge because I remember thinking, oh, wow, this is something. And again, talking about mistakes because I, I had no experience playing at that level. That's what I went through. Is is that boredom something that you actually feel or that maybe the brass is, is just seen when, when it feels like you've done everything you can do at, at a certain level? And that's a great question, Wes, because, you know, I, I didn't, I never, you know, went home after a game and go, this is too easy and, right. you know, you know, I, I needed a bigger challenge, but I must say I, I didn't quite have the same, I guess, level of excitement for some of the games in the latter half of my second year in the minors. Um, you know, to a certain degree, things are going really well and you're always looking for the next challenge. I, I, I don't know if I mentally had, you know, checked out, but I definitely knew that I was wanting, you know, a different challenge. And by the way, you know, you, you've got friends and family and, and everybody's saying, Oh, when are they going to call you up? And then you look around the national hockey league and there are other guys that are around your age and they're already getting a chance and, you know, maybe a little bit of disappointment there. It's very complicated what you go through uh, mentally. And so, you know, and by the way, Wes, that's going back a lot of years. <laughs> You're challenging a, a guy that's 62 years old to remember something in the early eighties. <laughs> well, you remember the championships and the MVP awards, so that's a that's well, a start. 
Let, you don't get a chance to brag very often, so when you're given that opportunity, <laughs> you better take it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure we're going to ask Dustin himself a question just like this quite soon, but was there a time for you, you know, and you talk about that jump to the NHL and how there's goals being scored in ways that, you know, kind of catch you by surprise. You've never seen mm-hmm. a guy who can do this before. Was there yep. a moment that you remember thinking, yeah, I, I belong at this level. Okay. Yeah. And I asked Mike Vernon this when uh, he was going to get inducted into the hockey hall of fame. I did a sit, sit down with him about 10 days before. And I asked him something like that. When was that moment that he knew? So he went through the story and, and then mine was, it was my second season. We're in preseason. I, I, for whatever reason, I remember I bought a brand new suit and I, I thought I looked really good walking into the Philadelphia spectrum for a, a preseason game. And, uh, this is a moment that I, I just, I find, found so cool. I just remember it so much. So, uh, instead of walking off the team bus into the vent or into the arena entrance and turning right where the Zamboni was parked and going down that long corridor to our dressing room, visitors dressing room, I walked straight ahead to where the Zamboni would go out onto the ice. Now, I doubt you guys were ever at the Philadelphia Spectrum, but it was a really cool building. It was extremely intimidating. Uh, They were removed from the Broad Street bullies, but still it had some of that aspect, and the crowd was really wild. They were into it. And so I'm standing in the Zamboni entrance. Of course, it's about three hours before the game, so the building is empty. And I just remember looking around, feeling great in this brand-new suit, and I go, I belong here. This is where I belong. This is the league I belong to play in. And uh, and got off to an okay start that year, and then ultimately they traded Roly Melanson, and then it was Billy Smith and I for about the next five years. So it was a really cool experience. That's awesome. How long did the suit stay in the rotation for? That, that was around for a while. Yeah. I, I liked that suit because it was a good memory. And if I needed a big start, that was the suit that I went to. What uh, what color? It was a gray suit. Yeah, you're I challenging like me in all this. I like it. Well, you, 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 were, you, were, you were slagging off your own memory. Yeah, I was <laughs> yeah, like, well, let's, let's show let's Kelly that really that memory what, still. What color socks did you wear <laughs> with that suit? That's still a steel <laughs> trap right there. I like it. Uh, Kelly Rudy's with us from Hockey Night and Sportsnet. Last one on Dustin Wolf, and it's funny, you, you kind of touched on this a little earlier, and, and definitely you can relate. So – Jacob Markstrom is close and mm-hmm. likely back with them uh, for this upcoming homestand for a couple games, which likely means Dustin Wolf goes back to the American League for the time being. If if yeah. you if you were to chat with Dustin and, and you know kind of go through your experiences, what would your what would your wisdom be in in going back to the American League after his longest stint yet at the highest level? If he were to be sent back down, Pat, yeah. Then uh, this is a hard one because this this is gonna that would be a very difficult conversation. Uh, by the way, and I'd call his agent as well if I'm the Flames and just sort of ask him to go down there and be his best and not pout. We're gonna figure this out that because we know you deserve another opportunity and we we'll have to figure this out as an organization in short order because it it would not be fair to Dustin Wolf if he were to have to go down to the minors again for an extended amount of time. I just, I think it would stunt his growth. I don't think 
you would go watch a Wranglers game and, and look at him and go, okay, I see improvements in this area. It's just, it's not going to happen at that level. He's done it all. He, he needs yeah. the next challenge. And so that would be a really tough conversation that I, I'm glad I'm not a part of because, <laughs> you know, you're, you would be dealing with an incredibly disappointed athlete and, and you would have to sort of help him get his mind around the fact that, you get over this huge disappointment. How do you just do that easily or casually? You can't. Yeah. No, that's, that's well said. That's really well said. What uh, you were, uh, you were sitting right behind me uh, when Jacob Markstrom sustained that injury in practice yep. a little yep. less than two yep. weeks ago, you knew, you knew it was not good right from the get go. Cause you saw exactly where it hit. Um, yep. How, how difficult. So we know that he fractured a finger trying to make that stop. How difficult yeah. would that be to play through? I believe it's on it, so it would be on his stick hand. Like how how difficult uh-huh. would a fractured finger be to play through holding your stick and, and trying to be the same level of goaltender? Well, first of all, I don't know which finger it is, and so that would make a bit of a difference. Right. Um yeah, if it's his index finger, that would be that would be a, a more difficult injury to come back from because the index finger most people don't know this and it's not important unless you're talking about something like this. The index finger is super important for grip on your goalie stick uh, for a goaltender. And it's for guiding the the paddle and the blade in the direction you want it to go. So it, it that's the, probably the most important to, of your fingers when holding a goalie stick. And so if that is the one that's uh, fractured, I don't know how long it would be for him to be able to have enough strength or play without uh, some sort of pain to get through it. Now, I I suppose at some point he could have it frozen if it's healed enough, but you wouldn't want more damage done. Uh, But other fingers, I think you could maybe come back a little bit more, depending again where the break is, because part of your fingers, you're uh, coming underneath the paddle, so they have they have to be able to bend. So you, you couldn't put it in a splint. It's very complicated uh, to come back from something like this. And and by the way, Pat, you're exactly right. When we were at practice that day, as soon as I saw the injury, and as soon as I saw Jacob get up off the ice and race off into the towards the tunnel, I knew something was bad because typically, um, if you get hit, you would stay on the ice for a couple three minutes. You know, you're trying to figure out what the injury is, and sometimes you get hit. I love Kevin Dess at one time. He said uh, something like, you know, when you get hit sometimes and you're, you know you're injured, you think it might be the worst injury of your, your career, and then five minutes later you're not feeling all that bad at all. And so, and that's why I knew it was bad for Jacob because he didn't wait to see what might happen in five minutes and say, okay, you know, it's not as bad as I thought. And I can keep going. Maybe, maybe I don't like it, but typically if a guy races off down the tunnel in a practice, something's up. No doubt. Uh, Which is also super out of character for Jacob as well. How Mm -hmm. have have you, uh, how have you felt about Jacob's game this year, Kel? There's a lot of talk about him bouncing back and, and, you know, rebounding from what was a tough year for him last season. Have you felt that he's, have you felt that he's done that pretty successfully to this point? Yes, I have. Yeah, you know, all goalies would say they'll they'll come back at you and say, yeah, maybe I could have had a couple back uh, over the course of this young season. But clearly, uh, I, I found that uh, he has really been uh, sharp mentally, really, really focused. Um, he, I think he's had a great 
uh, bounce back season. I will say this, and, and I've done a number of interviews uh, in, you know, in part of the eastern part of the country, and I have to remind people sometimes stats are deceiving. And so don't look at Jacob's numbers and go, well, you say he's having a bounce back, but he's two games under 500 and his save percentage is under nine. So it can't be that good. And I would say that the Flames had some troubles defensively for a while, and the goaltenders took the brunt of the the abuse. But uh, overall, I'd say he has done a really good job. Kelly, we better ask you one more goalie question before we let you go here today. It's going to be a yep. pretty cool night in, in Vancouver with Roberto Luongo being uh, honored by the Canucks going into their ring of honor. I'm curious when you look back on, on Roberto's career, on the, the legacy that he's left behind, what, uh, what jumps out for you? Two things, Wes. So <clears throat> when uh, they got him from Florida, and I can't remember if his first or second year there in Vancouver, I remember saying on air on Hockey Night in Canada that this guy is a winning machine. And I don't know if Vancouver fans at the time knew how great Roberto was. Now, I, over time, of course, they saw his brilliance. And, of course, he took them to the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals. And uh, uh, he, he had so much success there. But my favorite story, uh, Wes and Pat, is so many years ago when I used to do the Western games exclusively for Hockey Night in yeah. Canada, and often I joined Scott Oak on After Hours. And so this particular Saturday, we're in Vancouver, and our guest is going to be Roberto Luongo. And, but even the better part of the story was he is going to put an on-ice clinic uh, after the game for, uh, I think there were like three young boys and three young girls, goalies. Wow. And he's going to put them through some drills and teach them about edge work and, you know, a bunch of really cool things. Well, that night they got shelled about seven to one and Roberto was in that the entire night. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, if there is ever a night where a guy's going to bail on after hours, this might be it. And much to my surprise, I should have known better, but much to my surprise, he showed up and he was in a very good mood. You, The kids would never have known that he had he suffered a terrible defeat and goalies always take it personally and so it's there's that component to deal with so I thought he was amazing he he was so good he spent uh, almost the entire half hour on the ice with us and I thought man that's a true pro and uh, so I've always admired not only his play but his off ice uh, behavior because it's uh, he was a true pro that night that is a really cool story that is yeah. This uh, this has been awesome. Can we text you later if we have any follow-ups on the suit? <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't ask me about Dan Vladar. We talked about Wolf and Markstrom, and Vladar's getting the start tonight. What? Uh, what well, what? Uh, what are we thinking about Dan Vladar and the way that he's played over the last little bit? What? What? What have you seen there? He needs a statement game here. I'm not. Uh, Certainly not uh, throwing him under the bus, and he started really well. Uh, most games, uh, you can definitely tell that he's extremely focused. He wants to put in a great game. He knows the importance of this point in his career, and so th for that reason, I hope he has a statement game, and uh, then he goes on a bit of a heater here because he deserves it. I uh, Just before we wrap up, I, uh, I still think I'm very happy that this is the case, but I still believe that 2011 Vancouver Canucks team with 
Roberto Luongo and Net, the best team to never win a Stanley Cup. I'm happy that is the case in this market, but boy, was that team good. And Luongo was just a winning machine. I like the way you put it. Like that, that's exactly what he was. You just knew that he was going to give you a chance to win every single time he was in there. Pat, let me clarify. Did you just say the 2011 Vancouver Canucks were the best team to never win a Stanley Cup? I did, yep. At least the okay, one that I'm never coming on you dog. <laughs> I played in the Stanley Cup finals in nineteen ninety. Second best team. I am never coming on. Second yet. best team. Never, to never never ever call me or text me again. <laughs> Next time we're in the rink, don't even say hi. I'm not even looking at you. Second best team to never win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> oh, After the nineteen ninety three Olympics. My friend. I know, that I that bridge was burned in a hurry. <laughs> hey, nobody burns bridges better than this guy. Uh Kelly, the text line loved it. Uh, it's been too long since we've had you on. Uh, it has been awesome to to chat. We we see you at the rink all the time, but it's just like we just we don't have Kelly on the show anywhere near enough. And uh, this is uh, this is why I felt Thank that you. way. It's and, always awesome. And just so you know, Pat doesn't speak for both of us, so I hope we're still good, Kelly. <laughs> Wes, you and I are still buddies. Don't Perfect. worry about that. Well, Wes will see you at the rink on Saturday. I'll I'll be hiding in the corner somewhere. Hey, and I'm happy to say, I'll give you a quick update. I'm back to normal starting tomorrow, back to Toronto, and I'll be uh, doing playing games next week, and everything is good in my life again. And so I will be traveling, doing a ton of Flames games, and looking forward to traveling and doing Hockey Night in Canada on Saturdays again. That is uh, awesome. Terrific. Well-deserved rest, and uh, it'll be good to have you back. Thanks, Kel. Awesome stuff. That was really fun. Okay, see you, boys. Talk to you soon. That is Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night and Sportsnet and uh, part of the best team to never win a Stanley Cup, the 1993 Los Angeles Kings. Eh, they were a pretty good team. They were. They just, uh, they just you know, Gretzky, they, they upset. They, they Kelly Rudy helped. Star power on that team. Kelly Rudy helped ruin CBC's dream of a Toronto-Montreal Stanley Cup final. It's true. Because... Toronto was in the Western Conference at that time. Uh, and, yeah, Kelly Rudy and Wayne Gretzky and that group of L.A. Kings helped ruin a dream for the CBC of having those two teams play in a Stanley Cup final in a regional East-West NHL. So, and yet here he is. He's on hockey night still. They, I think they they've forgiven him. They've forgiven him. Yeah. I think they have. Uh, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Kelly Rudy's the best. Uh, Kelly Rudy of Hockey Night and Sportsnet joining us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from best from the West Canadian produce to quality only Alberta meats. Find your local at Calgary Co-op. Shop online or in store today. Flames Talk is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. Steinberg and Wes along with you on this Thursday edition of the program. And uh, Porsche Center Calgary has new inventory in stock. There's a great mix of all models, including Taycan, Cayenne, Macan, and even some sports cars. Porsche Center Calgary has unprecedented offers like no luxury tax on 2023 Taycan models and 3.99% lease rates on 2023 and 2024 models, plus Macan S and GTS 2023 and 2024 models available with 6.99% lease rates for up to 42 months. Offers end December 31st. Visit PorscheCenterCalgary.com. Well, 
Mackenzie Weger already has seven goals on the season. He scored uh, he scored another one on this road trip. Um, his career high is eight goals. So my math suggests he's got lots of time to set a brand new career high in goals in a season because he's already at seven through 29, not even halfway through a season. He leads the team in five-on-five shot attempts. He is at, uh, and he's second in overall shot attempts, second only to Nazem Kadri. This is, this is A, a story, but B, this is obviously something that he worked on coming into the season. This is obviously something mindset-wise he's been focused on coming into the season, a shooting, a, a shooting approach, a shooting mentality, and getting more towards the net and being more of an offensive factor on this team. He, he scored his first of last season on New Year's Eve, I believe. And if it wasn't New Year's Eve, it was, it was re- Eve. yeah, really close to there. And, and it, it was bugging him so bad. I remember having conversations with him about it. And, you know, he's not a guy that when he's not scoring, you don't have that same reaction that you have with Jonathan Huberto or Andrew Mangiapane. It never becomes a story. You know, why isn't this defenseman producing more goals? But I know that it really, really, really was under his skin that he wasn't scoring. And he was able to finally get one on New Year's Eve and sort of build some momentum. But he he really has set his mind to shooting more often. Every time you talk to him about it, and, and you know, and I I wrote a fun feature uh, about a week ago or a couple weeks ago about how his teammates love to razz him about having a muffin of a shot. He's but the muffin man. He he is firing it from wherever he can, and he's doing a really good job. And this was something as part of that feature that Chris Tanev pointed out to me is it's not easy the way NHL teams today front shots to get it through from the blue line to the net. And he says that, Chris Tanev this is, says that Mackenzie Weger is one of the best he's seen at managing to get it through that maze of shin pads and legs and everything else and get it on net. And we're seeing him be rewarded for it. I wonder, because he, he's always talking about how everybody calls him, calls me the, like when I see him shoot, I don't know. Does it feel like they're muffins? Well, the, the one the other night felt a little bit like a muffin, but that, that was a weird one off the sidewall, right? The one, the one timer off the, Sidewall. I think that was a little bit of a knuckler on him. Not sure it was sitting down flat, but no. And and I think that's why I think that's why he has so much fun with it and loves to chirp back is he's not a guy with a, a shot that you noticeably look at and go, Whew, that's no good. It's not like when Tanev was trying to shoot it with a bad shoulder oh, right. in the yeah. Oilers series. Or right? or when they they dressed uh Mark Giordano with a torn oh. biceps tendon for that one um, warm up against the warm Islanders? up against the Islanders, and he <laughs> was just kind of pushing it towards the net. The old smoke screen. Yeah. No, it, it, it shot like I. I don't think he's a guy that you look at and say, "Wow, he's got a cannon," but it's not a muffin. I'm here to defend Mackenzie, yeah, the muffin I, man. I, I don't. I don't think it's a muffin. I talked to him last week, but I'm like, "Is it really a muffin?" He's like, "I. I don't think it is." Yeah. I, Sometimes I don't get all of it, but like lots of times I, I get all of it. I think they're pretty hard is basically what he said. The, so. the other thing about Mackenzie Weger that I, I think is worth mentioning is not only is he the, the leading scorer among Flames defensemen with those seven goals so far, 
But he's now past Chris Tanev in blocked shots. And he has been for a while leading the team in hits. Like this is not a guy who's just contributing at one end. Here uh, is head coach Ryan Huska, who uh, talked a little bit about Mackenzie Weger in Minnesota on Thursday morning prior to their game against the Minnesota Wild. He's been good in that in that area for sure. Like he's he's got a shot first mentality this year, and I think playing his offside again uh, and having Raz feed him pucks, he's he's thinking a lot about shooting, and they're they're going in for him to start the year. But it's pretty complete too, right? Hits blocks yeah. as well. Like this seems to be a pretty complete package. Yeah, he's you can tell he's feeling good about where his game's at, you know. Um, and he's one of the guys that we need to be good at both ends of the ice, and I, I think he's found a way to be he's pretty consistent with his effort. Um, and anytime. You know, defensemen or forwards or whoever it is, they they score. They feel pretty good about themselves. So um, he he's really focused on making sure he's bringing the best version of himself every night, which is great to see. Not that you needed to, but did you challenge him in any way, or did he kind of challenge himself to try and try and take another step? No, he's been this way from the beginning of the year. You know, and I, I think early in the year, um, maybe not quite as good because we were trying to find pairs and partners that fit together so he had he was playing with a few different people along the way so now he's been consistent with Rouse over the last little while and um, playing well we've got some changes that are coming in because of some injuries that we've had and he's getting bounced around a little bit again but he's still maintaining that shot mentality even though he's back on his his left side or his right side normally now and you want to talk about a shot mentality he gets he gets power play time but not like he's usually on the number 2 unit right now yeah they've they're kind of, still kind of fiddling with who they want their top defenseman to be on that power play yeah rasmus anderson has not seen a lot of power play time over no. the last little bit it's been hanafin on the 1 and Uyghur on the 2 but at 5 on 5 nobody has more shot attempts or pucks towards the net on the Calgary Flames than Mackenzie Weger. Uh, he's got 135. Next is Nazem Kadri at 126 and then Blake Coleman's third at 106. Fascinating. Read me a few more of those. Uh Backlund and Hannafin each at 102. Okay. Uh tied for fourth. Interesting. So that he is he is shooting it and he is seemingly putting Everything that ends up on his stick right. in the offensive zone towards the net, but he's not doing it in a, you know, I, I don't get the feeling that Mackenzie Weger really cares about his Corsi number. I think he's, I think this is something that he's, he's trying to score more goals. He's trying, like, it's not like he just gets it and puts it towards the net. I think as Ryan Huska just talked about playing with Rasmus Anderson and being on his offside, which he has been for a lot of this season, allows him to maybe get to the middle a little bit more and get better looks when putting pucks towards the net. And he talked to me about it's a little bit more difficult trying to bring pucks off the wall to his forehand to get into shooting positions. But when Raz is feeding him, he's getting it closer to the middle of the ice and thus getting some better looks, which has really helped him as well. So, yeah, it's it's impressive. Not a lot of defensemen are leading their team in shot attempts. Well, and I, I think if you talk to any defensemen what they're going to stress to you and I'm referring to more of these shots that come from the point area like as a blue liner you're not necessarily shooting to try to score you're not trying to pick the top shelf very often when you're shooting the puck through traffic and I remember having a conversation like this with Michael Stone who has one of the best shots we've seen on the Calgary Flames certainly in recent memory I had a conversation like this with Mackenzie Weger not very long ago like you're you know if you can get it through the skates and the shin pads and legs and get it to the front of the net, you're going to at least 
at worst, create some chaos there. Now, Mackenzie Weger has been fortunate to see some more of those shots go in, but just that that knack for getting it through means so much to the Calgary yeah. Flames. Well, Mackenzie Weger is 12th overall in the NHL for five-on-five five shot attempts. There's only one other defenseman in that top 12. Brent Burns of the Carolina Hurricanes is second wow. with 164. But listen to the players that he's in the mix with for shot attempts. Nikita Kucherov, Nathan McKinnon, David Pasternak, Owen Tippett, Philip Forsberg, Cole Caulfield, Jeff Skinner, Austin Matthews, Carter Verhage, and Artemi Panarin. Those are the names ahead of Mackenzie Weger along with Brent Burns in shot attempts this season. And, and sorry, was that for five-on-five five five five. shot attempts, five or, five. or was that the lineup for the skills competition at the All-Star game? A um, little bit of both. Yeah, that's that's pretty good company, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Like that's, that's a pretty impressive group of players. So, so let's touch on something here, because you've talked about how Mackenzie Weger being on his offside has has created some shooting opportunities. You know, Rasmus Anderson's been able to tee him up. We saw moved over to the right side the other night. What difference that could make as, as he sort of hammers that one coming off the wall. You know, Rasmus Anderson and Mackenzie Weger are the two building blocks we know for, for this defense core. Yeah. And I'm curious... If you're looking to build, are you building around them as a pair? Or are you building around them as two right-handers? Okay, it's a really fascinating question. Because to me, it depends on what they get back in trades if right. they move out Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev. Right? But it can help shape what you're looking for in set trades. I, although okay, you, you have a chance to get a good defenseman, you're not saying no, I if don't If it's a left shot or a right, yeah. yeah. But I think ideally, you want them both on the right side. Yeah. Can I, know I that, agree with you. I, I don't know a coach in the NHL who's like, no, nah, I'd rather go right, right, left, left. Every coach in the NHL wants to have right, left at this point. There's just so many benefits to having the stick on the proper side of the ice. Yeah. So and, I think building around them is kind of two right side defensemen and plugging in. If you can get one good left shot defenseman, young, good left shot defenseman back in one of those trades, I think you'd be pretty happy with that. And you can start to build around those two right. as your right shot. You have to start looking at, at young defensemen, whether they're coming in via those trades or some other way. If if you're not re-upping Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev, if you choose to cash in those trade assets, if you get the sense they're not interested in extending or extending at a, a term and dollar figure that you're comfortable with, it's really imperative that you add to this blue line. And I think you're right. I, I think the target should be, if possible, left-handers, because I think in Rasmus Anderson and Mackenzie Weger, you have two really good long-term building blocks on that right side. In saying that, I think about the Florida Panthers in Uyghur's final year there. Wasn't the world's deepest blue line, and they rolled Ekblad and Uyghur all season long mm -hmm. as their top pair. Like There is a benefit to having a bonafide top pair. I guess I just want to see 
what if if Hannafin and Tanev do get traded and say they do get a young defenseman back at some point, whether it's in those trades or in another trade that you swing with with other assets, I'd, I'd want to. Could could you plug one of those young defensemen onto a pairing with a guy like Anderson or or Weger? Well, it it's what makes Mackenzie Weger so valuable, and we're seeing it again, right? If if your top four is suddenly as the Calgary Flames has been lately before Chris Tanev's injury, if, if your top four is three righties and a lefty, well, you've got a righty that you, you're super comfortable with playing as offside. If your top four, as has been the case since Dennis Gilbert was plugged in or, or Jordan Osterley was plugged in for Chris Tanev there, if your top four is, is lefty-righty, lefty-righty, you know you have two really strong options on that right yeah. side. And so... Mackenzie Weger's flexibility. I, I believe he's better on the right. I think most people would. Daryl Sutter always talked about how he thinks Mackenzie Weger is stronger on the right side. But if you start ranking guys at how good they are at playing their offside, he's right up there. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of guys that you really would put in um, as that. There's not a lot of guys that are almost as good on their offside. Like we remember TJ Brody was better right. on, he was a guy who's a left shot. That's better on the right. Right. Correct. Cause yeah, him and Gio Gio was on the left and Brody was on the right. He prefers playing the right side. I took think, him a while to get to that point though. Early yep. in his career. Yep. I, there were some stories out of uh, Abbotsford about his reluctance to play the right side in the minors. And then all of a sudden he's, Oh, I like this better. And then yeah. he preferred it there. Weger, I think, would prefer playing on the right side, but is pretty good on his Pretty good Swiss Army knife. Milestone night and mini? (laughs) Okay, last point before we wrap up this hour of Flames Talk. It is the 100th NHL game for Adam Rizicka Thursday night in Minnesota. He is going to need to play significantly better and significantly more consistent if he's going to get a lot more than 100 games as a member of the Flames. Yeah, it's it's starting to get into teetering territory when it comes to his future in the organization. If it wasn't there already, the last few weeks, they need more from Adam Rizicka. He's not in the Huberto Lindholm category, but just because those guys are the top of the crop that aren't producing exactly the way that they need to or the Flames need them to, but they they have given Adam Rizicka all kinds of opportunity to succeed this year. And it really hasn't clicked as of yet. That's going to have to start happening, or he might be a guy that they move on from even before the trade deadline. For me, he's he's been a, a really disappointing player for the Flames this season. And I think if you were uh, asking for their honest, unfiltered opinion, the coaching staff would probably use the word frustrating. I, I think they just don't know, and there has been some injury issue, but they just don't know what they're getting out of Adam Rusejka. And and really, we need to see what he does well. He, he's not producing enough when he gets top six opportunities. Mm-hmm. He He's not necessarily, at least from my vantage point, a, a fit for exactly what you want a fourth-line center to be. And so you're absolutely right. I, you know, if Cole Schwint is developing that sort of defensive shutdown game that they want out of him with the Calgary Wranglers when they think he's ready 
and it might be sooner than later. I don't know where Adam Ruzichka fits. Even if they decide Dylan Dubé is better off as a fourth line center, I don't know where Adam Ruzichka fits. Even if it's when Jacob Pelche comes that's back, what I, was gonna say. I, Pelche. I just don't know where Adam fits. And that's and that that was kind of something that I think was pretty clearly communicated to him. Like we, this is your like we're going to give you the opportunity this season, but you need to go and make the best of that opportunity. And that still hasn't happened. He's had some throughout his NHL time. He's had flashes, but has yet to turn those flashes into anything more meaningful on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it hasn't fully clicked yet. And it, at some point he feels like a change of scenery guy to me. Yeah. Think before the trade deadline, potentially, you know, I really think he still kind of controls that. And, and some of the potential call-ups with the Wranglers, including Matt Coronado control that. I just think, you know, if you, if you take the forwards you have now and say, okay, well, who comes out of the lineup when this guy's ready? Who comes out of the lineup when this guy's ready? Like the answer to that question more often than not for me right now is Adam Ruzichka, mm-hmm. right? So does it hinge a little on Matt Coronado forcing his way back in? Yeah. Does it hinge a little on whether Walker Dewar plays more up to expectations with his next opportunity? Yeah. Does it hinge a little on what you plan to do with Kevin Rooney when he's healthy? Yeah. Does it hinge a little on whether you're going to move on from Elias Lindholm? Like you're not talking about putting Adam Ruzichka in all these different spots, but he, he seems to be the most obvious candidate to come out. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll start to wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk. Uh, thanks to Taylor and Cam, our producers. And the Sports Drive wraps up, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. This Christmas, give the gift of security with smart locks and safes. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.